Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, I don't know who this is actually for, but Nathan's is now selling vegan hot dogs. <laughs> I'm not saying they're bad, but Joey Chestnut couldn't finish one. Really? Yes. So this poll is getting some attention. It's just it's it's interesting. I think it speaks more to the way we take in information than anything else. In that uh, we get information from different places. The information is different, and so we have different views. Um, we're not all coming at stories from a shared set of facts. That's a real problem for how a democracy is going to work. But here's a good example of it. So Gallup asked people. Uh, should healthy people live their normal lives as much as possible? 40 of course. <laughs> only 44% of respondents said that healthy people should still stay at home as much as possible to avoid contracting and spreading the coronavirus at this point. 44% overall in America, and I wish it wasn't that high. But if you break it down by party, 71% of Democrats still believe that Americans ought to stay home. Why in the world would I do that? I don't know. To avoid what? I'm fully vaccinated. There's risk every single day. There's disease every single day. Why am I doing that now? I don't know. I I just, I don't know. I don't know what information uh, people who tend to be on the left are hearing that makes them feel that way. Or if it's some sort of signaling to my tribe thing. I don't know. Like I said, I lived in one. I live in one of the leftist towns in uh, in America, and masks everywhere. Outside, outside there are masks everywhere. That's people, insane. People that are clearly a couple, like they appear to be a husband and a wife, walking their dogs with masks. You live together, so you don't have to worry about each other. You're probably vaccinated, almost certainly, and uh, and you're outdoors. So I mean, there is a zero chance you could get or spread the virus. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a signal thing or not. Remember the uh, that hog kid who's the activist about uh, gun violence. Uh, left. He's activist. not an overeater. That's his last name. That's his last name. Yeah. He said, "I feel like I need to wear a hat that says I'm not a Republican if I'm going to go maskless." So there yeah. is a concern among some crowds that people think, "Wait a second, are you a Trump fan not having a mask on?" So some people are wearing their mask for that reason. But but I wouldn't think that that would factor into the poll of should people get back to their normal lives. Seventy one percent of Democrats say no. Okay. That's well, and you mentioned this briefly in the last hour. The uh, numbers among independents were striking to me. Um. Do I have that in this version of the poll? I don't know. Let me go back uh, to the old version. I happen to remember because okay. it struck me. Uh, 64% of independents said people should get back to their normal lives. Yeah. So the gulf between Democrats and everybody else is enormous. Yeah, 87% of Republicans, dang near 9 out of 10 Republicans, said it's time for people to start living their normal lives. And two-thirds of independents. But Democrats are a complete flip. 71% say... No, stay home as much as possible. Yeah, way yeah. out of step with even independence. Like, way out of step. Not even close. Yeah. 
So there are two political aspects of this, I think. Number one, the siloed information, which you point out. Um, uh, number two, the tribal signaling, which is unquestionably a factor. And number three, and I think you and I and people like us, maybe even our listeners are in danger of forgetting this all the time, since we're all like really into what's happening and what's news and what's true and what's the latest. I think a lot of America, it's weeks or months until they hear important information it just doesn't filter down to them because they're not particularly into news yeah i don't know it explains uh, some interactions i've had over the last couple of months with people um people that lean toward things being shut down and still not going out and all that sort of stuff yeah but i mean the fact that democrats and independents are mirror images of each other or, or opposites or however you want to phrase it yeah I mean, it's just that the left is way out there on this. Oh, speaking of which. I wonder how long that lasts. I mean, if you're wearing a mask at this point, you're in a town where uh, practically everybody's probably vaccinated. You're outdoors. You can't catch it. Catch me outside. How about that? I wonder how long that will last. There's the coronavirus. Uh, I I don't know. It's so strange to me. I I can't predict how it's going to progress because it's, it's mental illness. Practically. This is from the Department of Unintentional Comedy or or Nearly Laughable Tragedy or something like that. The new uh, mask rules for Cal Unicornia from the California Division of Occupational Safety and Health or Cal OSHA. It voted to loosen workplace mask rules on Thursday. These are the new crazy loose rules. Now, I happen to have been traveling lately to several states, and uh, a lot of y'all in other states are going to think, this must be a rerun from last May. <laughs> A&G, right. you're on vacation or something. Right. No, this is, he says, grabbing his phone. This is Tuesday, June 8th, the year of our Lord 2021. These words are being spoken. Starting June 15th, everyone in an indoor workplace must wear a mask if there is at least one person who is unvaccinated. If every single air-sucking homo sapien is vaccinated, masks can be removed. All right, let's start there. (laughs) So you got one holdout and everybody else has to be masked? How much hatred is that going to cause? And what is that for? The vaccinated people can't spread it, so it's highly unlikely. Yeah. Well, it's, but so what's the point? The tiny, tiny incremental chance that that unvaccinated person could catch it from one of the vaccinated people. Well, that's almost zero. Well, it's caution to the point of of the word paranoia is overused. I mean, I'm using it as the medical definition of paranoia. It's it's caution to the point of being mentally ill. Hmm. That really doesn't the, make any mathematical sense. You want to guffaw people in the 49 We're other following states. following the science. And uh, certainly listening around the world. The state's current rules, because remember, this, this doesn't come into play for a week. And even the if state, there were like a 10% chance that you could spread it to the one non-vax person, that's your problem. You chose right, not get to get vaccine. vaccinated. Or don't. Take your risk with the, if you're young, if you're under 60, you're probably not going to die anyway. So, you know, fine. I get your, I get your, why you, go ahead. But why are we all changing our behavior for you? This is straight out of Kafka or, or Solzhenitsyn or something. You got 50 employees. One of them is not vaccinated. And your, your solution is the other 49 need to do something. 
special and and then burdensome if you ask me so anyway that's the the brave new rules the current rules require everyone to wear a mask regardless of vaccination status and these rules remain in effect until 2022 at least but workers who are indoors have to stay at least six feet apart until the end of july even if they're vaccinated okay that's just idiotic Employers can provide respirators, masks, to unvaccinated workers to get rid of the social distancing requirements, which will go away entirely in August. All of these different dates and everything. Uh, Businesses are supposed to supply masks if they're needed. Kalosha will require employers to have documentation confirming that workers are fully vaccinated before you can take off your masks. And you got to report that to the state, I guess, where they... Aren't keeping track and don't care. I'm sure, and these are these rules are far stricter than the federal gu- guidelines right now. And there's practically no COVID in California. It's just insane. Who supports these new rules? This is a good Q and A in the San Francisco Chironicle. Worker union groups, including the California School Employees Association and California Labor Federation, supported the new rules, noting that the pandemic is not over and masks will help ensure worker safety. Who opposes the new rules? More than 60 business groups, including the California Chamber of Commerce. Um, but because the unions own California, those rules stand. So there you go. That's how your government works. It's unbelievable. 49 people vaccinated, one not. The 49 got to throw on masks. Unreal. I'd say. Uh, coming up, we can talk about... Oh, the one more thing on the COVID that we need to mention... Um, this needs to factor into everything. Only 23% of black people have had at least one dose. Only 19% fully vaccinated among black Americans. Only 19% as we're in the nationally, we're in the 60s. We're in the mid 60s. So that's with the black population being at only 23% or 19% rather. So wow. wow, what would the number be if you if you brought that up a little bit? Um, in in some states, like the state I live in, whether or not your county got to open back up and businesses got to run their business in the land of the free and the home of the brave was based some on various equity numbers. Um, is this you know is this minority community at, at the same level as whites? Because if it's not, then you're doing something wrong, and you're not allowed to open up your store. Um, which is weird. Well, it would turn out, it would seem pretty clear that, for whatever reason, African Americans do not want to get the vaccine at a much higher rate than almost every other group. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, what? How do you? How do you? What do you do with that in society? Well, the Washington Post had a piece about declining vaccination rates, and they mentioned there are armies of volunteers just going out into neighborhoods trying to convince people to get vaccinated, going into barber shops everywhere they can think of, standing on street corners talking to people, saying, hey, it's it's safe, get vaccinated in black neighborhoods. And it's just nobody's going for so it. So, not, so what are, what's everybody supposed to do? So you're not letting a restaurant, a restaurant open up beyond 25% capacity because your equity numbers are bad and you've got minority groups that don't want to get the vaccine come on now you gotta you gotta you gotta come up with an answer for that because that's not cool um coming up i mentioned new york's mayor race i don't give a flying whatever who's the mayor of new york but there are a couple of really interesting nuggets about it how they're doing the election this time around which the whole country is going to be watching and what the leading issue is which the whole country is about to uh 
about to uh, start talking about also. Those are both interesting issues. I think you'll find. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. has just come out of Macron, the child president of France, who's married to an old woman. Uh, he... Jeez. Come on. Come on. Come on. What's the story? Get to the story. What's the cheese? <laughs> Which party it's, it's, are you bothered it's by? It's the love of his life. Stop judging his wife. She has got like, a couple years on her. He was a 16-year-old high school student, and she was like a 40-year-old teacher. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> That's an interesting story. Anyway, he was just uh, meeting and greeting the people as politicians do, and somebody in the crowd slapped him really hard across the face, and their version of the Secret Service got uh, got to jump to uh, jumped ugly fast. Wow, but That's not good. <laughs> not fast enough. Not fast enough to keep him from getting slapped. Which is a very French thing to do. Our guys jump in front of bullets. They're let their president get slapped. <laughs> Hey, quit slapping the president. All right. <laughs> you Very ma- rude. You Macron slapper. Two things you need to know about the New York mayoral, mayoral race. It gets way too much attention because all the media is based in New York. It doesn't matter to me or really any of you who well, the mayor of New York is. The only reason it, it matters to me is it, New York's a, a laboratory of democracy. It's, it's sure. an experiment in governance. Yeah. So yeah. I like to see what happens. Oh, I, yeah, I get that. But, uh, you know. You can't deny it out, gets outsized attention because everybody oh. telling you what the news is lives there. Oh, absolutely. Um, right. But um, Andrew Yang was leading in the polls, and now this other dude is leading in the polls who's uh, coming off as tougher on crime because that is the number one issue in New York, public safety. And I wonder if that is going to uh, spread across the country. I uh, mentioned last week the the incredible numbers on how many people care about crime and uh, and public safety right now it's just just skyrocketed uh the latest to poll there this ipsos poll in new york nearly 46 percent of likely voters say crime and public safety should be the top priority of the next mayor up seven points in a month uh anyway so that is going to be what most people are talking about yang andrew yang who's uh second in the polls he's he is um he's not a soft on crime guy he just hasn't made it a big uh, emphasis of his platform. He might have to start mm-hmm. if he wants to. But uh, I don't know, because they're doing an interesting experiment that a lot of people have been wanting for quite a while. They're doing rank choice voting in New York. It'll be the biggest experiment we've had in the country with rank choice voting. They do it in Alaska and, I think, Maine, but because their populations are so low, it's hard to say what the results are. New York mayoral race, much bigger population, and we'll see what the effects of this are. Do you want to explain how that works? or? Well, yeah, you essentially list your first, second, and third choice, depending on the system. The idea is that if, if say, Jack, Joe, and Sean are running for office, and, and, and I, Joe, get the, uh, get the most votes, but it turns out way more people, I don't get a majority, but it turns out way more people would, would rather have, uh, say, Sean if they can't get Jack. And and people who like Jack would would rather have Sean too. In addition to the Sean voters, you end up with really who's the most popular candidate. 
um, once you eliminate people. It's it's hard to explain. I, I've also heard it. And it, I've done it poorly. <laughs> it greatly disincentivizes the negative campaign mudslinging style. In theory. So um, anybody that gets over, if you get over 50%, you win. But if nobody gets over 50%, then you start ranking them the way Joe was just talking about, and you eliminate people on the bottom, and then you vote again, and you go, you do, you do that. Um, and in theory, you, you have fewer, you have more incentive as a candidate to try to appeal as many, to as many people as possible. Because mm-hmm. if, if so and so is going to drop out, I want all their voters to come to me because then I move up and end up winning. As opposed to the way the system goes now, the way we currently do it now, you can be an outlier and maybe end up with the biggest chunk, even though it's a small number, and end up winning. Right. You know, functionally, what it does is instead of, uh, you know, nobody wins the majority, and so you take the top two and have a runoff, it just does the runoff now. Let's have a theoretical runoff, just in case, on the ballot. A recent study in Maine, though, showed that negative advertising went up with ranked choice voting <laughs> when they when they brought that in. <laughs> MIT did a study, and the exact opposite of what they thought would happen. Hmm. So a lot of predictors by political scientists of how this will fix politics could be wrong, but I'm glad we're doing a big experiment in New York to see how it happens. Were the negative ads successful? Well, one one thing is is the idea that uh, campaign managers, they're still trying to figure out how to do this. It's too mm-hmm. new everywhere to figure out how to do it. So maybe over time it will get less negative and we'll like this more, but I don't think we're going to figure it out in one cycle. I don't know, because there's an element of, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun the, the worst candidate, so I'm going to badmouth them. You know, <laughs> right. Make them look terrible. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Organizers of Philadelphia's Naked Bike Ride announced that riders will still be required to wear masks at this year's Okay. So now it'll be even weirder when you recognize a coworker. Hey, Bill! I mean, uh... uh... I have no interest in riding a bike naked. Zero. (laughs) No. I have marginal interest doing it clothed. Ah, uh, funny. Anyway, well, that's like at the, the the very dead end of the list of things I'd like to do naked. I no mean, that kidding. might be last. It might be. It I mean, might other be. than like, uh, you know, cooking bacon <laughs> with the grease spitting and the rest of it. Yeah, that's probably after bike riding, but barely. Uh, so a handful of kind of COVID-adjacent stories. Um, don't tune out. They're pretty interesting. Number three golfer don't in the world. Don't tune was, out. No, instead, we're not going to drone on and on about COVID. It's just kind of interesting that it's still having the effect it's having as bureaucracies find it impossible to adapt to changing realities. For instance, uh, John Rahm, he's number three golfer in the world. He had a six-stroke lead after three rounds. He had to drop out because he had a positive COVID test. He makes his living out of doors. Any competent physician, and we have quite a few listening, any competent physician could devise a plan where John Rahm could not possibly infect anybody. 
Especially because virtually everybody's vaccinated. I guess he'd had one shot, and uh, he should have gotten the second one. But anyway, he had to drop out of the tournament. Probably cost him $1.7 million, because there's practically no way he was wow. going to lose. Yeah. Uh, but again, I-, I-, I tell you what, if if I had just a sensible general practitioner, I'll bet we could design a plan to make sure John Rahm didn't infect anybody. It wouldn't infect the game in the least. But no, he had to drop out because of now ancient-seeming COVID paranoia. I found that article about the uh, people getting vaccinated and not vaccinated. And the polls, what polls? All polls. Some of them? All of them? Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. So those polls found that about one-third of Americans have no plans, no immediate plans to get vaccinated. Some are holdouts saying their skepticism has intensified over time. Others arguing the issue is moot because the pandemic has receded in the United States. Mm, I I kind of get that one. Yeah, yeah, I I have reasonable confidence that there's no downside, but it's not a hundred percent confidence. Who knows? A couple of years well, down the line, maybe I, something will be discovered. I but would only, I haven't seen. I it. would only attack it from the pain in the ass it is to get a, a shot standpoint. That I got to make an appointment. I got to show up somewhere at a certain time. I got to park. I got to walk in. I got to wait. Right. I got to wait around right. for fifteen minutes afterwards. At this point, eh, I'm not going to catch it. I don't think I'll do it. But I did yeah, first I opportunity. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, but uh, speaking of which, a uh, good piece in the Washington Post about big tech. Remember, they were the first people to send, the first companies to send their people home. Tell them, hey, work remotely so you don't trade the vid. Uh, now all sorts of different big tech companies have all sorts of different policies about bringing people back. Uh, Twitter does not want its executives to come back to the office, at least not full-time. Neither does Slack. Amazon, on the other hand, believes the best way to keep its foothold as a leading tech giant is bringing everyone back to an office-centric culture. Interesting. As, as they say, as soon as it's safely possible. Kind of in between are Google and Apple, which are allowing two days of work from home every week. It's interesting that one of the most valuable companies in the world, Amazon, thinks apparently thinks they perform better with people in the building. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much of it is that they've spent billions of dollars on their tech campuses. I don't know. And it just pisses them off if it turns out it was completely unnecessary. I doubt it's a random decision. Yeah, well, yeah, humans are like that. Uh, Many of the same companies behind the technology that made remote work possible are insisting on their workers coming back, which is kind of funny. Now there's all sorts of tension and and, and angst among white-collar tech workers as they're like, uh, hey, we kind of got used to this groove and we're doing good work, so why are you making me commute again? Why are you making me come back to the office? And I guess it's especially acute at Apple. And uh, look, a grain of salt with this. Because your your young tech activisty type people are always bitching about something, you know, they're always whining about some progressive cause. But uh, they started circulating a staff letter Friday, uh, addressed to Tim Cook, slamming the mandate, which requires them to go back to the office three days a week, starting in September. The letter said that Apple's so-called, quote, remote location flexible work policy and how it was communicated has already forced some of our colleagues to quit. Okay, now that's like Generation Z. Forced them to quit? No, they chose to quit. Stop with that. But without the inclusivity that flexibility brings, many of us feel we have to choose between either a combination of our families, our well-being, and being empowered to do our best work, or being a part of Apple. 
Yeah, I'm looking at this article from Peter Yang, the bosses who want us back in the office. We assumed remote work was here to stay, but some of the loudest voices in the corporate world are rallying to get employees back into offices, as Joe was just explaining. And one thing he writes here I thought was interesting. What's clear is that employers and employees now know way more about remote working than they did at the start of the pandemic. There's no doubt about that. It was a good Mm -hmm. year-long experiment on both ends. And although all recognize there are positives, such as the flexibility and low overhead and all the stuff that we is obvious, concerns abound about the impact remote work could have on trust, company culture, how young people's careers progress, and how employees collaborate. I'd say so. That is not known. Right. Well, and I just think instinctively, don't we all think that it's probably going to have a negative impact? Particularly... When you get to people that have never worked together. We did this experiment with a group of people that already knew each other. You know, once you get enough turnover and you got people working together that have never worked side by side. Mm -hmm. They've never talked about, hey, how'd your Little League team do last Saturday? Because you don't get those conversations. How does that how does that work out? Well, and through time, those negative effects would multiply, I would guess. Until you, ten years down the line, your cohesion would be a fraction of what it was back in these showing up for work days. Oh yeah, not not that you know there aren't great advantages to the other thing too. You just need to be honest. Uh, one of the experts saying it's very difficult to onboard new employees. Nice word. You mean hire, bring them in uh, to onboard new employees or cultivate young employees who need mentoring in the hallways and elevators. We haven't found a way to replicate this virtually. Absolutely. Yeah, the pop in your head in the office is just different when you have to call somebody or face phone them or, or even text them or whatever. It's just, it's different. Face phone. What? That's a funny <laughs> phrase. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what my, my family and I call uh, FaceTime. <laughs> Let's do the face phone. <laughs> yeah, well, the world keeps spinning. You yeah. Know, dealing with technology and you know, pandemics. Well, I've, I've said this many times, but just in case you haven't heard me say it, it's a, a certain organization that I'm, I'm, I'm involved with. We've been, we did Zoom for a whole year, and I was, in my own mind, I told people, I think it's about 80% as good as the in-person until we did another in-person, and I realized, oh, no, it's not even close to 50% as good as the in-person. It was just a completely different vibe and feeling and, and, and what we got out of... Uh, of all getting together. Yeah. I, I had fooled myself on that. Well, there's so much data available and so much interest in this question. I think I think uh, pretty good uh, frameworks of understanding are going to arise pretty quickly about the pros and cons and, and how to attack them. I think. I, I think now, that, if you put it in the hands of government, it would never, ever happen. But no. companies are, you know, it's in their interests to understand this. Oh, stuff. yeah. Companies have a lot of interest. Like, that's why it's interesting to me that Amazon's wanting to bring people back in. I guarantee you, they've put a lot of thought and probably studies into this before they made that decision. I think companies who immediately went to the, hey, we're, we're actually more productive with people at home. Let's make that permanent. Let's sell our office space. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I'll bet they'd be buying office space. That's what I would bet. Um, speaking of the workplace, I have to get to this at some point. We got a great guest next hour. Josh Rogan has got a book out. I should have the title in front of me, and I don't. I'll look it up. Uh, it's about uh, Trump and China, and uh, basically, it's the United States versus China, and it's the, the the best I think first look at the new era between 
China and the United States. We're going to talk to him next hour, and he's good on all kinds of different stuff, including the origin of the coronavirus, which he had been writing about long before anybody cared to uh, to pay attention. Um, but we should get to this. Why I stopped hiring Ivy League graduates, a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. Oh, boy, scratch me where I itch. Even those who aren't woke seem damaged by the experiences, and they're deprived of role models. You get to that coming up next if you want. It's pretty good. Love it. Why I stopped hiring Ivy League graduates, and he talks about how he used to, like, you know, they, they went to the top of the stack. Now it's, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. Wow. Among other things on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So next hour, we're going to have on Josh Rogan. He writes for the Wall Street Journal. He's got a book called Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. And uh, the Wall Street Journal's review of it is it's it's like the first great book written on the opening chapter of us all realizing we're in a battle here. And... um, Josh has a lot of interesting things to, to say about uh, Trump's approach and also uh, the origins of the COVID, which is an ongoing story. Um, and he was swimming against the tide long, long ago, but couldn't get any attention. Uh, so this article in the Wall Street Journal, why I stopped hiring Ivy League graduates by someone called R.R. Reno, who hires uh, lots of people. I'm inclined to hire a graduate. I'm not inclined to hire a graduate from one of America's elite universities. This marks a change. A decade ago, I relished the opportunity to, t- to employ talented graduates of Princeton, Yale, Harvard, and the rest. Today, not so much. Um, he goes through some examples. Let me scroll down to this. Uh, the biggest scrolling, liability... Scrolling, scrolling, The biggest liability that comes with hiring graduates from places like... Haverford, which he is a fancy school outside of Philadelphia, and Harvard, is that they have been socialized to panic over pseudo-crises. Talk of systemic racism and fixation on pronouns inculcate young people in an uh, apocalyptic urgency, a mentality that often disrupts the workplace and encourages navel-gazing about diversity, inclusion, and other ill-defined notions that are far removed from the main work of my organization, which is good writing, good editing, and good arguments. Uh, a few years ago, a student at an Ivy League school told me the first things you learn your freshman year is never to say what you were thinking. The institution he attended claims to train the world's future leaders. From what that young man reports, the opposite is true. The school is training future self-censors, which means future followers. He's every bit as worried about, in this long article, uh, obviously the leaders of these very, the, the people that, that start the ruckus in the first place about mm-hmm. the lack of diversity or this or that. He's as worried about the people that don't get involved in any of this stuff, but go along with it and hang around on a campus like this and keep their mouth shut about it. Um, not wanting them around in his workplace either. He wonders about that crowd, which I'd never heard anybody. Um, uh, wow. I'd never that heard. puts the kids in an interesting conundrum, though. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Of course, what his point is, is that the Ivy Leagues have been so poisoned by this stuff 
you know, both sides of the equation are so messed up, he doesn't want them. In recent years, I've taken stock of my assumptions about who makes for the best entry-level employee. I have no doubt that Ivy League universities attract smart, talented, ambitious, ambitious kids. But do these institutions add value? My answer is increasingly negative. Dysfunctional kids are coddled and encouraged to nurture grievances, while normal kids are attacked and educationally abused. Um, he was listening in on a Zoom meeting at one of these uh, in, uh, universities. It made it clear that today's elite students aren't going to schools led by courageous adults either. Deprived of good role models, they're less likely to mature into good leaders themselves. My rule of thumb is to hire from institutions I advise young people to attend. Hillsdale College is at the top of the list, as are quirky small Catholic colleges such as Thomas Aquinas College, Wyoming Catholic College, University of Dallas. In my experience, graduates from these sorts of places are well-educated, but more important, they've been supported and encouraged by their institutions, and they haven't been deformed by the toxic political correctness that leaders of elite universities have allowed to become dominant. And he spends a long time talking about the people that go to the, you know, the Yales and the Harvards and, and they don't get, they aren't part of it necessarily, but they keep, they go there and they keep their mouths shut and, and learn this idea that the, these are the things that are important and don't stick your head up and get in any trouble. Well, right. And the idea of leading absolutely requires confidence and boldness. And if they're, if that's beaten out of you by the mob, it takes a long time to recover it. Plus the whole, uh, I like that very, very first thing he was talking about with uh, essentially catastrophizing everything. Everything's a crisis all the time, and, and you should go to pieces. You must. In fact, if you don't go to pieces, well, that shows you don't understand how bad this is, what just happened. Yeah, it's, it's weird. weird. Very, yeah. very weird. So how do you how do we feel about this stuff? I think I know how we feel about this stuff, whether you're climbing a mountain or trying to row across the ocean or whatever. If you fail, I think it's your problem. Uh, Coast Guard rescues Hawaii-bound kayaker. This person was hoping to paddle solo from California to Hawaii. What? On a kayak. Yikes. Take a kayak. Go into those walls. That's a hell of a trip. Was rescued six days after he set out by a U.S. Coast Guard helicopter amid rough seas and high winds. Almost made a week. There were rough seas and high winds on the Pacific Ocean. Hadn't expected that. Uh, Cyril Duramo endured several problems with his 23-foot kayak. That's a big kayak. But when he lost his sea anchor, he knew he had to cut his adventure short. After consulting with his land crew, okay, so he's got communication devices, he phoned for the Coast Guard for a rescue 70 miles west of Santa Cruz. He made it 70 miles. <laughs> oh, weak. How far, hey, hey, uh, Sean, figure out how far it is from Santa Cruz to Hawaii, would you? A diver was lowered from it's like a helicopter. 80 miles. <laughs> a diver was lowered from a helicopter into the water and pulled him up. It's two thousand three hundred thirty-six miles. Oh my gosh! So the the question is, how much did that cost us? And I realize it probably didn't cost much because the Coast Guard is already doing their thing and they're on duty and everything like that anyway. But I don't know. I'm I'm anti-rescuing these people. If you've you got to charge them for the gas, at least. There's a boat on display is somewhere in San Francisco. I've seen it because I read the book, and this was way back in the day, who this did, did guy did a solo, uh, sailed up, like basically a raft from Japan to San Francisco. I mean, clear Yikes. across the freaking Pacific Ocean. 
Wow. He took uh, a lot of, he caught fish, he brought food with him, and lots of beer, I remember, to drink. <laughs> but the boat is still on display, but he didn't have any communication devices where he could, like, you know, you're 70 miles from Santa Cruz after a week, <laughs> and you call the Coast Guard and they're going to come rescue you. Now, if you're going to do this, do it for real or don't do it at all, all right? I, the idea of us rescuing you, I'm, I'm wow, anti. Wow, that's a cold-hearted, listen I'm to anti. the cruel libertarian, sickening, terrible. Hey, what's a sea anchor? I don't know what that is. I mean, because obviously you can't have like 1,500 feet of chain on a kayak to lower an anchor to the seafloor. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, there are places where the sea is, is miles deep. Right. I don't know. It seems to be like a a pouch that I guess just fills up with water and then sinks. So it's like a foldable keeps you uh, keeps you in one spot. Yeah, keeps you from flying up in the air. I don't, oh, what, how, keeps you in one spot. How a week into his journey, he's seventy miles from Santa Cruz. I just so two hundred and twenty-five miles would have been ten percent. So not even a third of a percent. <laughs> I give up. This is tiring. There's rough seas. <laughs> a beginner's guide to anchoring a kayak at sea is thirty-five minutes long. Uh, I don't know. If you're going to do something crazy, you need to be out on your own. If you're going to do that extreme skiing where you go off the trails and everything like that and go down a mountain on your own, hey, you're on your own. If you succeed, we write songs yeah. about you. If you fail, you get roasted. That's just that's that's right. a deal. Yeah, yeah, that's part of that's part of that comes with the gig. Or eaten by bears or sharks or something. D- d- don't don't tell me how courageous you are if you got the Coast Guard standing by. You're not going to be eaten by a bear uh, 70 miles from Santa Cruz. Bear shark. Well, I'm talking about the skiers. <laughs> bear shark. Frightening bear sharks. Uh <laughs> This this conversation with Josh Rogan is guaranteed to be good. Last time we had him on, he was really good, and that was before he got his book out, which is about the battle between the United States and China, which is really only the most important story in the world for probably the next 100 to 1,000 years. So stay tuned for that. It's on the way. Armstrong and Getty.